Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to PBC. My name is Dan. I'm our young adults pastor, and uh, it's great to be with you all. We're going to open up the word together in, uh, in just a moment, and that's always a joy to do. You know, a little bit earlier this week, I was out on a run, and as I was running, I was thinking, which is a good thing to do while you're running, Um, Although I was thinking about running, which is generally not a good thing to do while you're running. You kind of want to like think about other things to distract you from the running. But this particular time I was thinking about running while running. And I was particularly thinking back to a moment in a race that I had run. And if you've ever run a race, you're very familiar with this moment. It's the moment where you finally see the finish line. And this is a glorious moment. Uh, you've been running for however long and, and you see, okay, there's only so far left. And you maybe get like a little boost, a little more pep in your step. And you know, I just have to make it that far. Because that, that moment of crossing the finish line on a race is a hugely important moment, right? I mean, no, nobody starts a race unless you're planning and intending to cross that finish line. But the finish line isn't the only important line in a race. Another important line is the starting line. Because if you don't cross the starting line, you can't ever cross the finish line, right? You first have to get started if you're ever going to finish. So which line do you think is more important in a race? Is it the finish line or is it the starting line? Starting line, finish line, you could probably argue it either way, right? They're both pretty important. But do you know what would be bad? What would be bad is if you mistook the starting line as the finish line, right? I mean, imagine how ridiculous it would be is if you get to the race and the gun goes off and you run across that start line and then you stop. Yes, yes, and you're celebrating. And everybody around you is like, you haven't done anything yet. Like, well, I, start, I crossed the starting line. Ah, you're, you're missing something there, right? You don't want to mistake the beginning of a race for the end. And sometimes I think there's a temptation that we have in the Christian life where we mistake the starting line for the finish line. You know, we, we've been spending the last nine weeks together on this series called Explore God, where we've been looking at these big questions of life and faith. And over the course of that series, Hopefully, we've been able to help remove some barriers that that might help you to coming to God, to actually deciding to to become a Christian, become a follower of Jesus. And the question that we looked at last time is, how do I know God? And we looked at, at at least what Jesus would say is that there's a couple of important steps in coming to know God. And he kind of summarizes them as repentance and belief talks about the importance of repenting from our sin, that is turning away from our sin to God and believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And what he's doing there is he's laying out, here, here's the start line, right? This, this is where, this is the, it is a line, it's a line we want to cross, but it's only just the beginning. Sometimes though, we think that when we've crossed that line, we've gotten to the end. But as we look at all of scripture and what it would have us what it would say to us is that, that that moment of believing in Jesus, as critically important as it is, is just the start. For you, maybe that's a line that you crossed very recently. Maybe it was over the course of our last nine weeks together as we've been looking at some of these questions. Maybe for you, that was a line that you crossed years ago, maybe decades ago. 
The question then that stands for us is how do I follow Jesus? And and that's the question that I wanna look at together today. How do I follow Jesus? If If I've put my faith in him, where do we go from there? What does it look like to walk with him? What is the Christian life supposed to look like? Sometimes what we say, the the life of discipleship to Jesus, of following Jesus. How do we really go about that? That's an important question for us to look at. And that's the question that I want to consider together this morning. You know, it's really interesting. As we read the gospel narratives, we actually find that for some people, following Jesus comes before they've really totally believed in Jesus. You know, as Jesus is starting his public ministry, he's about 30 years old. You know, not a lot of people knew about Jesus before that. He didn't live his youth and his his early young adult years in the limelight, right? He wasn't captain of the football team, valedictorian, homecoming king. Like he wasn't the talk of the town. That's not the sense that we get in the gospels at least. And then there's the time when Jesus goes away out into the wilderness for 40 days and he has this spiritual battle with the devil and he comes back having been victorious and he's now ready to start his public ministry. And the first thing that Jesus does when people still don't really know who he is, maybe they're familiar with him, maybe they've heard of him, but they don't totally get it. They don't totally understand. Jesus begins inviting people to follow him, to become his disciples We read about one of the first times that Jesus does this in Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus extends this invitation to people to follow him. And and as the gospel stories keep going, we see that these people are known as Jesus' disciples. Jesus is inviting people to become his disciples. And discipleship in first century Judaism was a thing. Like if you were invited to be a disciple, you kind of had a category for that. You knew what it meant, right? We might think like if you're going to do a postdoc in our culture, that's a thing. You kind of know what you're going to do. If you're going to go to grad school, that's a thing. We have a category for it. We kind of understand it. Discipleship was kind of like that. It, it It was a thing. You knew what you were, what was being asked of you if you were being asked to be a disciple, So what really was Jesus inviting people into when he was extending this invitation to follow him, to become one of his disciples? Well, we can look at the the, the word that's used, the Greek word that we translate as disciple is is the word mathetes. And that word has a a couple different closely related senses. Um, And so we could think about mathetes on the one hand as one who engages in learning through instruction from another a pupil or an apprentice. This is what it was to be a mathetes. Or another related sense, one who, rather constant, who is rather constantly associated with someone who has a pedagogical reputation or a particular set of views, a disciple or an adherent. 
And, and kind of the common way that we translate this word is as disciple. But that doesn't totally get at all of what Jesus is inviting people to in the way that we might think of it. Right? We might think of a disciple as someone who kind of sits under the teaching of another person, who learns from them. There's some kind of transfer of knowledge and some training that's happening. But some of us suggested, and I think they're probably right, that perhaps a more helpful way for us to think about this idea is that of apprenticeship. That Jesus is inviting people to be his apprentices. So you might think of someone who wants to be a carpenter and they want to learn the trade of carpentry. And so they find a master carpenter and they apprentice underneath them, which means that they follow them around. They go to job sites with them in order that they can learn from that person how to do this trade that they've perfected. And so as an apprentice, you, as an apprentice carpenter, you would show up at the job site and you're going to encounter all of these tasks that you're not really equipped to do, but it's okay because the master is there with you to teach you how to do these things. And you're watching and you're learning and you're training and you're growing. And it's not just a mere imparting of knowledge. There's a, a kind of life-on-life -life component to an apprenticeship, right? You're just kind of walking with somebody through this trade that they have perfected in order so that, that you might learn how to do that as well. And so th this is what it is to be a mathetes, a disciple, an apprentice, is to walk with Jesus in this kind of way. John Mark Comer is a pastor and author, and he's talked about apprenticeship. He describes it as uh, having three, three main goals that you kind of orient your life around. And he says that an, an apprentice, an apprentice of Jesus, would be somebody who is with Jesus to become like Jesus so that you might do the kinds of things that Jesus would do if he were you. That that's what it is to be an apprentice. To apprentice under Jesus is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, so that you can do what Jesus would do if he were you. It's a helpful way to think about what it would look like to apprentice under Jesus. So as Jesus ex extends this invitation to people, this is what he's inviting them into. This opportunity to be with him. And that's exactly what his disciples do, right? Throughout his ministry, we see that Jesus is traveling from place to place. He's going different places to teach and perform miracles and heal people all around uh, Galilee and Judea. And as he's doing this, his disciples are going with him. And they're seeing him do the things that he's doing. And they're listening to his teaching. And they're, they're learning from him right, all along the way. But they're also just doing life together. Right? They're sharing meals. They're sleeping in the same places. They're just together all the time. They're building a relationship is what they're doing. And so Jesus' disciples, they, they were those who were with Jesus in order that they could become like Jesus. Right? Over the course of his ministry, these disciples that followed him around are becoming more like Jesus. That's the idea. They're learning from him how to become like him so that then they can go and do the things that Jesus was doing as well. And so there's a number of points in the gospels where Jesus sends out his disciples. And when he sends them out, he sends them to do the very things that he had been doing all along. He sends them to go teach. He sends them to heal. He sends them to cast out demons. All of the things that Jesus had been doing with them, with them at his side, he then sends them out to go do. 
And so this is what it was for people to be Jesus' disciples, to be with him, to become like him, and to do the things that he was doing. Well, then we have to ask ourselves, okay, so are, are we also meant to be apprentices of Jesus? After all, we, we can't kind of walk with Jesus like his disciples did, and, and our culture is very different than Jesus' culture, and the things that we do are maybe very, maybe very different than the things that Jesus and his disciples did. So are, are we meant to be apprentices of Jesus, or is there something else that we are invited to? Well, we can see in the end of the Gospel of Matthew, as Jesus is giving some last words to his disciples, he gives them a commission. Sometimes we call it the Great Commission. It's his parting words to his disciples who've been walking with him for these three years. And this is what he tells them in in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gives this instruction to his disciples and they go out and they do this. They make more disciples of Jesus and those disciples go out and they do this and they make more disciples and those disciples go out and they do this and they make more disciples over and over and over again through 2000 years of church history. And now here we are today, the result of this command that Jesus has given to go and make disciples. And so we are intended in a very real way to be disciples, just like Jesus' first disciples are, to apprentice under Jesus in similar ways that they apprenticed under him. So what does that look like for us? How do we actually follow Jesus? Well, we're gonna see that there's the same elements in our call to discipleship as in those first disciples and their call to discipleship. There's a call to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do the kinds of things that Jesus would do if he were us. So let's think about each of those things a little bit. Jesus invites us as his disciples to be with him, to be with Jesus. Now we're not walking around following Jesus place to place like his first disciples were, but there's still a very real sense in which we get to be with Jesus. Sometimes we we say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And this is the idea that we're getting at, right? It's not just some set of rules or some rituals that we are following after. We're following after a person, a person with whom we have a relationship with, a person that we can be with. That's the the heart of what it is to apprentice under Jesus is to just be with him, to be building a relationship with him. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, and the apostle Paul picks up on this as well, the the emphasis is on the fact that, you know, God is always with us. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's always with us. David in the Psalms talks about how there's nowhere that we can go that would remove us from God's presence. So God is always with us. And yet, there's a sense in which we are not always with God, right? That is to say, we're not always aware of God's presence with us. And we're not always intending to be with God in a a real kind of way. 
So part of our role as disciples of Jesus is to just be with him, to be aware of his presence with us. You know, what, what would it be to wake up in the morning and before your mind starts racing about all the things that you have to do, before you're looking at your calendar and everything that's coming up, before you're in your inbox or on your social media feeds, to just start the day and say, God, you are with me. That's what's true this morning. You are with me and I want to be with you. Before you walk into that important meeting at church, at, uh, church maybe, or work or wherever you're meeting, uh, for me, they happen to be the same place. For you, they're likely different places. Uh, you're walking maybe from one meeting into another. What would it be to just along the way say, God, you're with me. You're with me as I walk into this meeting. As I go to this, this um, conversation that I expect to be an intense conversation, God, you're with me. I want to be with you. I don't want to do this meeting. I don't want to have this conversation on my own. I want to do it with you. Jesus says, I want to do that with you. That's the kind of relationship that I want to have with you, one where we can walk through life together. We can just do life together. That's the way in which we get to be with Jesus as his disciples. Then there's the piece of becoming like Jesus. If, if being with Jesus is about our relationship with him and cultivating this relationship and this presence, to become like Jesus is to then think about our internal world, right? What is the state of our internal world? And we want to become like Jesus in such a way that our internal world looks very much like the internal world of Jesus himself. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see flowing out of his internal world things like love, joy, peace, Patience, right? We can work our way right through the fruit of the Spirit. These things are very clearly just so deeply a part of who Jesus was. He was not anxious. He did not worry. He had this deep, profound faith. That was the internal world of Jesus. He just, he lived in that state. And so for us to become like Jesus is to say, how can I help my internal world to become like the internal world of Jesus himself. One way to think about this is through our character. Our character is this, this set of, of internal habits that we have that, that our actions more or less naturally flow out of. I was leaving my house earlier this week and I was meeting somebody for lunch at a restaurant in, in Palo Alto off El Camino. And so uh, I got on El Camino close to my house, got on 85, went over to 101, and I knew I needed to go up to Oregon Expressway to make my way over to El Camino. And uh, this is what I'm totally intending to do. And all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm sitting at the stoplight on the exit to San Antonio, which was not at all where I needed to be, but what is exactly what I do if I'm coming here from my house, which is something that I do nearly every day. It wasn't a decision I made, I went into that place that we all go to when we're driving where you're, you're not really like consciously paying attention to driving that much, which is okay because you have internalized what you need to in order to get you to the places that you oftentimes go. And so you don't have to be consciously thinking about it. Your body just kind of takes over. That's, that's your character in a way. 
It's your internal world working its way out into the external world. And so for us to become like Jesus, we want to say, we, we want to have a character that is like the character of Jesus. Right? You, you, another way to think about your character is what spills out of you when you get bumped, right? Like when something happens and you just find yourself reacting as we do, that reaction is your character. And self-control can kick in and like, here's what I know to be right can kick in. But like the immediate this is, this is what's inside of you coming out. Could we become like Jesus in such a way that when we get bumped, love, joy, peace comes out like it did for Jesus? That's what we want to be moving towards as his apprentices. We want to have an internal world and a character that is much like the internal world and character of Jesus himself. So then we can think about this third component to discipleship, which is to do what Jesus would do if he were you. So we have to become like Jesus, to, to be with Jesus, which is about our relationship with him, to become like Jesus, which is about our, our internal world, but then also to do the things that Jesus would do if he were you. Now we're talking about our external world, right? Now we're talking about the way that our character impacts our actions, about the way that we actually carry ourselves in the world, the things we do, the things we don't do, the way we relate to other people, all of these things. As a disciple of Jesus, we want to do the things that Jesus would do if he were in our shoes. Dallas Willard is a writer and a philosopher, but he's written much on the character from a Christian perspective. Um, and he, he writes about this in terms of uh, what it looks like to really walk with Jesus as his disciples. He says, as a disciple of Jesus, I am with him by choice and by grace, learning from him how to live in the kingdom of God. I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would, as he would live my life if he were I. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I'm learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. So we don't necessarily want to say, how can I do what Jesus did? Because Jesus is not us, right? Uh, you can't do all of the things that any other person did, much less a person who lived 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world in a culture very different than ours, in a time very different than ours, we don't want to do all of the things that Jesus did, but we do want to do the things that Jesus would do if he were in our shoes. Right? How can I go about the things that I do and do them in a way that is consistent with the way that Jesus would do them if he were me? That's, that's what it means to walk as a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus. To think, if Jesus were in my shoes, if he were here right now, in the situation that I'm in, right, in the relationship that I'm in, what would he do? And then to go about and do those things, just like he would if he were in our shoes. We have to ask ourselves the question, though, if we are, all, if we are called to be Jesus' disciples, if we're called to be his apprentices, as a group of people were in the first century, we saw how they responded when Jesus extended that invitation. Matthew 4, Jesus says, follow me. And they dropped everything, right? They left their boats, they left their nets, they left their father, and they went and they, they followed Jesus. 
So does that mean that if we are going to be disciples of Jesus, that we must also leave everything behind and that our life, we will now be doing all kinds of different things that we weren't doing before? I don't think so, right? I don't think that's a helpful way to think about the call to discipleship. The call to discipleship is not just a call to go and be a missionary or to uh, become a pastor, though for some of us, that's part of our discipleship. But for you, it very well may not be. For you, following Jesus might mean staying right where you are and being a disciple in that context. Brother Lawrence was a monk in the 16th century uh, who really embodied this idea well. Uh, he was a, his role in the monastery where he lived was to work in the kitchen, to be a cook and to do dishes and things like this. Something that just seems mundane, ordinary, and not very spiritual. But he had this ability to, to talk about what he did, something as mundane as washing dishes, and to view that as an important part of his discipleship to Jesus. And he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence. And in that book, he says this, that our sanctification does not depend upon changing our works, but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. And so it's not that following Jesus means that we now give up our, our job, our vocation, that we move to another part of the world and do something very different. Perhaps God would call you to that. But more likely than not, I think he would have you stay right where you are, but to have a very different mindset as you go about the things that you're doing. To not do them for your own sake, which is just our default, right? We go about kind of constructing the lives that we want for ourselves. But could we go about those things not trying to build the life that we want for ourselves, but to say, God, what do you want of me in this situation? Instead of doing it for my sake, could I do it for God's sake. That that's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, to go about the work that we have, but to do so for God's sake and not for our sake. Sometimes I have to admit that, you know, I get a little bit bitter when I think about the opportunity that Jesus' disciples in the first century had. You know, like Jesus was there. He says, come follow me man, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus were just here and we could actually follow after him? Like, wouldn't that, it would make the whole thing so much easier, wouldn't it? Or would it? You know, Jesus actually didn't think so. In fact, on the night before Jesus is crucified, he's having one last conversation with his disciples in the upper room. And he wants to make sure that they understand what they need to know before he leaves. And he makes this staggering statement in John chapter 16, verse seven. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's remarkable. Jesus says, the night before he's going to be crucified, it's better for your sake that I leave than that I stay. And it's better because when I leave, I'm going to send what he calls the helper, who is the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is actually going to be a, a better asset for you and actually being my disciple than if I were actually here so that you could follow after me. 
well, how, how can that be the case, right? That, that almost seems absurd. Like, Jesus, if you were just here, we could just, we could see you, we could touch you, we could hear you, we could talk to you. But think about it. If, if being a disciple with, of Jesus is to be with him, his disciples, sure, they could follow Jesus around from place to place, but the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of us. Right? You, you can't be with anyone in any more deep or meaningful or profound way than when they actually live inside of you. The spirit of Jesus now lives inside of those of us who would follow Jesus as his disciples and have put our faith in him. That's something that his early disciples didn't have. And it's that same spirit who lives inside of us that actually gives us what we need in order to become like Jesus. That his disciples tried really hard, but when you look at the gospels, you're like, well, they didn't really do all that good of a job, right? Oh, Peter's just like failing right and left all through the gospels. And then in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes and it's like his whole life has changed. Like that's when Peter's discipleship really takes off is when the Holy Spirit comes in. Because now it's not him trying to become like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit inside of him making him to become like Jesus. Doing that transformative work that he could never do on his own. And we have that spirit living inside of us, working to bring about the character of Christ in our lives if we will open ourselves up to his work. So again, we have a better advantage than even those first disciples of Jesus. And then to, to go and do what Jesus would do, right? His, Jesus sent out his disciples and he said, go and do these things I've been doing. But once they got out there, they were kind of on their own, Right? And now they had to figure it out on their own and they could take what they had learned and what had become a part of them. But then it was just them, you know, two by two out in the world trying to do this thing. But as Jesus sends us, he sends us with his spirit, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of courage, the very presence of God with us to do the things that God has called us to do. So would it be great if Jesus were here so that we could follow him around as his disciples? Well, sure, I would, I would like that. But we have the spirit, which is actually better. It's actually a benefit to us to have the spirit in our discipleship to Jesus. And uh, the way that the, the rest of the New Testament is going to talk about following Jesus is walking by the spirit. You know, there's, there's almost 300 times in the New Testament that the word disciple, methete, is used. All of them, happen in the Gospels or the book of Acts. After that, we don't hear anything about disciples. Instead, what we hear is walk by the Spirit. It's the same idea, right? Follow Jesus, walk by the Spirit. We are called to walk by the Spirit as we seek to follow Jesus as his disciples. And we can look at the life of Jesus and uh, we can learn some of what it is to walk with the Spirit. How, how do we open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit in our lives so that we can be more aware of his presence and so that he can do that transformative work in our lives? And Jesus did all kinds of things throughout his life that helped him stay connected to God, helped him stay close to God. And we call these things spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. Right? Jesus would do things like, waking up early in the morning and going out to a quiet place to pray. Jesus would regularly fast. He would practice the Sabbath. All of these kind of practices that were a part of Jesus' life and are available for those of us who would want to follow after him as his disciples, learning from him how to become like him. 
And so if you're just starting this journey of discipleship, or if you've been following Jesus for a long, long time, it's helpful to think about what are the practices that I have built into my life that help me open up to the, the presence and the power of the Spirit in my life. And I just want to kind of highlight three, kind of three basic ones, three foundational building blocks that we can build on if we're looking for kind of where do I go? How do I really follow Jesus? Well, there's three starting points that we could have. One is the Word of God, right? The Bible. This is God's communication to us. It's where we learn about Him. It's where we learn about ourselves. This Word is living and active. And by just spending time in the Word, reading it, soaking it in, meditating on it, memorizing it, that helps us to open up to the Spirit and His power and presence in our lives. So spending time in the Word is so, so important, right? And especially like, you know, early in the morning, I find before my mind is racing on all of these things that it will eventually get to, can I just pause and can I start, can I start the day there? And that, that for me, that's oftentimes coupled with this other discipline, this other practice, which is prayer. Right? Prayer is just a conversation with God where we talk to God, we speak to him, and he speaks to us. We listen to him. And so for me, I like to start my day just in the quiet in the morning, spending some time in his word, oftentimes a psalm or maybe in the gospels, other places also. But for me, those are kind of my go-tos. And then sometime in prayer, just talking to God, listening to God, doing that work that is essential to every relationship, right? Just communication. So two really foundational things, being in the word and being in prayer. And a third one that I would add, and we see this in the life of Jesus as well, is community, right? Jesus didn't call all these disciples and then say, okay, I'm gonna schedule 12 one-on-ones, and you and me, you know, Peter, John, James, Right? No, he, he called them all together and said, we're going to do this together. We're going to walk together. And if we want to follow Jesus as his disciples, we need to be in community. We need to have a community, a, a people that we get to walk with in our discipleship. And so we as a church, we, we want to help you with that. If you find that you don't have a community, if you don't have those people to walk with, we want to help you find those people. And one of the ways that you can do that is through our small groups that Rachel referenced earlier. Uh, we've got a number of groups that are open and available for you to join, and we're, we would be more than interested in starting some new ones as well. Some of these groups are, are long-term, ongoing groups. Some are short, six-week connect groups. Either way, it's a great place to go as you're trying to find those people, that community. And you can find these on our website, pbc.org groups. It's available for you to see what's there and for, to inquire about more information or if you're interested in joining one of those groups. So if you don't have a community, if you don't have a people, uh, I would encourage you to check that out and, and to, to try to, to find those people that you can follow Jesus with together. Jesus gives us all these kind of activities that we can do, these disciplines, these practices, but none of them are meant to, uh, to replace the work that he is going to do on our behalf, right? Jesus, we see it in the life of Jesus, but where Jesus' life is going is to the cross, where he dies for our sin to make us right for God, he right with God, rises up from the dead as he defeats death and sin themselves, 
and then empowers us to be able to walk with God by his spirit. And one of the things that Jesus gives us to remind us of what he's accomplished for us on the cross and for the life that we have in him is represented by this pool right here, which is a baptismal pool, right? Where uh, Jesus gives this practice of going under the water and coming back up to symbolize our death to sin and our resurrection to new life and the purification, the way that we've been washed clean of our sin because of his work on our behalf. And in just a few moments, we're gonna have the opportunity to uh, baptize somebody this morning, someone who's put their faith in Jesus uh, and wants to make this public declaration and active obedience to Jesus. But before we do that, uh, we're going to, to sing a song of worship together, which is another practice that we have, uh, the, the, the discipline of, of worship, where we declare to God that he is worthy of our praise and rest in the sufficiency of Christ on our behalf. And so uh, as we get ready to sing this song together, I want to invite you to stand uh, and I want to pray for us to uh, prepare us to worship and then to witness this baptism. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you invite each and every one of us into a relationship with you where we have the opportunity to walk with you through the ups and downs, the ins and outs of life. We pray, Jesus, that you would be at work in our lives by your spirit, helping us to open to you so that we can become more like you and give us clarity as we seek out what is it to live our lives in a way that you would live our lives if you were us. Lord, this morning we declare that you are good, you are all sufficient and that you have won the battle for us. And yet as we walk through this life, we wanna do so with you, relying on you and trusting in your power on our behalf. And so now Lord, we, just, we, we pause here to just praise you and to declare that you are worthy.